Welcome to the Wellness Law Podcast, where wellness and the law meet for contemplation and collaboration. This podcast is brought to you by the Center for Health and Wellness Law. I am your host, Barbara Zabawa. Welcome, Susan Goodkind Weideman, to the Wellness Law Podcast. I'm so thrilled that you agreed to be here and be interviewed about the work that you do at the intersection of wellness and the law. I actually found out about you through LinkedIn. I, your profile came up and I saw the words wellness and lawyer, and I had to reach out and tell you uh, about what I was doing as a wellness lawyer and find out more about what you are doing as a lawyer, a retired lawyer (laughs) who now coaches on legal wellness. So thank you again for being here. Thank you, Barbara. This is going to be fun because I think we're going to uh, find that some of the words that we're using are being uh, defined in different ways. So this will be a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So I I wanted to point out to the listeners that if you ever do a Google search on wellness law, the primary search results will be law lawyers who need help with their own wellness and well-being. Uh, not the practice of law in the wellness industry, which is what I do. I, I, I do come up on those searches, but um, I'm in the mix of all these other types of wellness programming for law firms and lawyers. So you are actually in that genre of wellness law, the well-being of lawyers and law firms. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved in coaching sure. for legal wellness. Okay, so um, basically I practiced elder law and estate planning in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan for 20 years. I had my own firm and like many lawyers, very hard driving, very hard working, um, and just really needed everything I could for a very long time. During that time period, I lost my husband to cancer. I was in a very bad car accident. So had a lot of things on top of just the the whole running my law practice. And I never took the time to really take care of my mind. I took care of my body. I exercised. I ate well. I meditated. But never really took the time to deal with all the emotional effects of what had happened to me in addition to the emotional part of my job. And it finally caught up with me. You know, about three years ago, I really felt very run down. I had developed an autoimmune disorder. Um, Just a lot of things weren't going well. And I could feel myself almost slipping away or disengaging from my business. And I decided that I needed to take some time off. I thought, you know, two weeks off and I'll refresh and I'll come back. And what happened was I got worse. I didn't feel better. I felt worse because the whole time I was off, I was spinning about what was going on at the office. What was I missing? What was I not doing? I just couldn't slow down and relax. So I eventually went to a therapist and she convinced me that I really needed to stop what I was doing, not necessarily give up my practice, but at least go on a a break because she said, you're just heading to the bottom of a dark hole. You know, this is not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. So I did. I looked at my situation. 
No, I came back from the break and I realized that I was, yeah, I came back from the break and I realized I was not rested. I was not better. I was worse. And anyway, I was in my early 60s at the time. I talked it over with my business partner. She said, you know what? I'll buy you out. Why don't you just, you know, I'll buy you out. You can be of counsel to us and you can go from there. And at the time, it just was the right thing to do. And I did it. Ironically, it was right before COVID hit. So I actually got at it a very good time. Yeah. Anyway, um, I stepped away and I spent the next two years really trying to understand what had happened. What had, where had my enthusiasm gone? Where had my creativity gone? Why was I so full of anxiety and dread and all these things that were not part of what happened when I started my law practice? Where did all that go and what had happened to me? And did some therapy worked with my own coach, took some classes, was trained to be a coach, and then went through a program called Positive Intelligence, which was about coaching mental fitness, this whole idea of learning to really be more aware of yourself and more in control of your thoughts and emotions and behavior. So put it all together, and in the process, I realized that the hell of a lot of other attorneys were going through the exact same thing that I went through. And I met a lot of them through different networking connections. And I thought, you know what, I, I can do something here because I know that I repaired myself. I know I can help other people to understand what this is about. And maybe they won't get to the point where I got to, where you walked away from it. Maybe they'll be able to turn around and go back and, and go on with their practices and just be more happy, more enthusiastic, more of what was there when they first started. So yeah. that's, that's how I got into it. Years ago, I started, got a website up and just with my coach training, and now I'm certified as a mental fitness coach, I just started inviting people to work with me. And it's been a really amazing experience. Wow. Because there's a lot of people in the same boat. Yeah. Yeah. You said, uh, so you started three years ago and you just started talking about your, your business, your coaching business to other lawyers and learned that. They were feeling the same way you felt. And I started just the more I was reading about burnout, because that's what I really concluded, that I had burned out. And then burnout in the legal profession, you will see if you look into that topic, there's a ton of research about the high rates of depression, anxiety, suicide, alcohol addiction, drug addiction in our profession because people are trying to self-soothe because they're dealing with so much stress and anxiety and they don't know how to handle it. And so, yes, I realized there was a ton, an unlimited amount of people going through what I went through. And I also knew it didn't have to be that way. Yeah. Well, I just have to share a story. I think I might've shared it already on one of the podcast episodes, but when I was on associate attorney at a large law firm, uh, one of the partners met with a bunch of the associates, including me and said during the meeting that if you are not on Prilosec yet, you are not doing it right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought even then that's scary. It is scary that we think that we have to go on the way that we're going, experience all this, all this stress. And the way to deal with it is just to numb it, to just take a pill or something of that sort. 
really, it doesn't have to be that way. Now, sometimes it really is just a, just a crappy working environment that it's, it, there needs to be a change. You might have to leave and go to another office or start your own practice. But sometimes it's your way of that you're taking care of yourself, the way you're perceiving things, the way you're handling your thoughts, and the way you're taking care of your mental health and your emotions. If that can be shifted and adjusted, you might be just fine to continue in the environment that you're working in. So yeah. sometimes it's us and sometimes it's the environment and sometimes it's all of that. So how do you get to the bottom of it? When you're coaching a lawyer, how do you know if it's them or their work environment or maybe a bit of both? How, how do you discern that as a coach? And my goal is not to really solve problems to help me, my coachee or my client discern it. So we coaching is very much about, I feel it's like a peeling something open. It's a lot of questioning and a lot of exploring. And I have I start everybody off with sort of a, a six-week program of self-awareness. So first we start to look at so what are the problems you're experiencing? And we kind of dissect them. You know, what are you thinking? How are you reacting? What are your values? I mean, a lot of people, myself included, have no concept of what their values are. And so they're like ships sailing out at sea, trying to get somewhere, but not really having a sense of where they're going. If you don't know what's important to you, it gets really hard to be focused and directed in, what's, in what you're doing. So we do a lot of work about values and then we look at, okay, so now that we've defined what's important to you, is this situation matching up? And I listen and we dissect. Well, you know, if everything's being blamed on other people, it's his fault, it's her fault. You know, we have to kind of look at that. Is that accurate? What facts do you have to support that? What role are you playing in all of this? And are you bringing ideas and viewpoints to your experience that aren't really relevant. You know, a lot of the people that I work with are high achievers. That's no surprise, right? We're lawyers, we're high achievers. They're also procrastinators. Mm -hmm. So there's something amiss there. What's that about? Are we trying to achieve perfection and then blocking ourselves from getting there because we're so afraid to try because we might not be perfect. It's this kind of like this cycle of working against ourselves. So we have to learn, or I help my, my coaches understand, excellence is achievable. Perfection may not always be achievable or necessary. Yeah. So where, where is excellence okay, the right thing? Where is perfection the right thing? And when, so that you're not always striving for something that's not either, that takes a lot of your energy and maybe even pushes you back because you're afraid of not being perfect. So going back to your question, a lot of it starts off with just self-exploration. Looking yeah. at yourself, looking at your perceptions of situations, looking at your thought patterns of why you think certain things. And is that really accurate? And is it really helping you? Or maybe there's another way to deal with this. Let's try that on and see. Yeah. 
those that all makes a lot of sense. And yes, again, as a lawyer who practiced in a large, several large law firms in my life, uh, having that, being able to absorb what you just said, uh, that excellence is not necessarily perfection, would be so helpful. At the same time, because I've worked in a few different legal environments, that whole concept of perfection is just pervasive in the legal industry. I don't know if it starts with law school and then just keeps on going throughout the professional practice, but I remember as an associate thinking that all the partners who were giving me work wanted perfection, expected perfection. Now, they never said that directly, but it was just sort of, to me, it seemed implied. And that was, again, probably a mixture of my own uh, perceptions and clues I was getting from the work environment. And I just, gosh, to get to that point, you know, lawyers are risk averse to begin with. I mean, that's, that's our job to help our clients avoid risk. And so if we're going to risk anything, it, it's, it's unlikely, you know, that they lawyers would risk something. So I, I, how do you get, you can only change one person at a time. I mean, but you're really tackling an entire industry. Uh, so I'm curious how you are, how are you so right? Well, I think it starts with ourselves, you know, perfection. The law does require perfection in certain places. When you're drafting your briefs, when you're filing your pleadings, when you're making your case in court, you want to be perfect in your citations and perfect in all of those aspects of things. But there may be a lot of other areas outside of that in the operation of your practice that you're seeking perfection when excellence is what's really needed. And as a result, you're driving people away. You're driving away your staff. You're driving away your peers. Maybe you're even like one client told me this week, he takes it home with him. So he wants perfection at the office and he wants perfection at home. Really? Do you think that that's going to make for a healthy relationship over the long term? Mm -hmm. So we've got to know where it's necessary and go for it where it's necessary and know when it's not necessary and know what will work in those situations better. Okay. So that's ourselves. And if we can do that, we're going to be helping ourselves can we get that to be the culture of our workplace? Maybe, maybe not. You know, if we're the one in charge, we might be able to start. It's out there. People are recognizing it. I think, you know, it's not my generation, I think, is, are the ones that got this perfection thing and we just clung to it. But I think some of the younger generations are starting to understand that they, you just can't you can't continue to drive and drive and drive and drive and expect that your engine is going to keep going mm-hmm. at full capacity. Mm-hmm. So it's about ourselves and then it's about programs, you know, like someone like myself coming in and saying, hey, let's just have one day of talking about these concepts of legal wellness, of perfection, of procrastination, of being a stickler, of being a people pleaser, you know. All these things show up repeatedly in our profession and they tend to work against us if we let them get out of control. They can be strengths, 
But when you let them get out of control, they become your enemies. They become your saboteuring behaviors. Yeah. And that can even trickle down into the advice that you give clients. I mean, if you're all, if you're looking for the perfect answer as a lawyer, a lot of the times, at least, especially in my kind of work, the you know wellness law field, there aren't any black and white answers. Uh, it's mostly in the gray areas. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're looking for perfection, you're looking for the yes, definitive yes, or the definitive no, um, that is not going to sit well with a lot of clients because, you know, your clients may be usually, if you're in the corporate end of law, especially are entrepreneurs, are their business owners. They understand that there's involved and that disconnect between the lawyer not wanting any risk and the client who's willing to accept some risk uh, may not always mesh very well. And so uh, being able to accept excellence and not perfection is really important for client relationships too. I think you nailed it. And I think, again, this awareness of where does the needle need to be? It also allows us as lawyers to step back into that part of ourselves that's a little more human and a little more creative and a little more curious and a little more empathetic. And some of the problems that we have to solve, those are the better skills for these particular problems. Yes, our analytical and our perfection skills have their place, but it's not always the right skill to be using when dealing with clients and solving their problems and coming up with solutions. So again, we want to incorporate the best of everything we have. And a lot of us, because we're so hard driving and we're so stressed and we're such sticklers, we let go of that part of ourselves that not only makes us feel better, but is really gives us a cutting edge when it comes to being lawyers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think clients appreciate that. And I think you're, you as a lawyer and as a person can feel more free and confident when you embrace that. So how do you go about uh, getting clients and and do you still just word of mouth or what, what's your strategy for targeting lawyers who need your help? Well, fortunately for me, because when I started, I had a large community of lawyers that I had been working with for many years. So that was my first approach. I went out to all the people I knew and I said, hey, this is what I'm doing. If you're interested, let me know. I do group programs and I do one-on-one. My experience is most lawyers want to work one-on-one. They don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to show each other that they've got issues. But so I did that. And then I am pretty active on LinkedIn, which is where you saw me. Mm-hmm. And I just tried to create my personality and my message out there. And of course, I'm always inviting people to connect with me and talk and see if there's something I have to offer that might be of use to them. And that's the way it's grown. And it's been really awesome. It's really awesome. I, I, I know the need is there. And I know that this kind of work can make a real difference for people. Um, And it's not just a, you know, 
five steps to do this. It's a process of almost relearning some of your habits and some of the ways that you do things. And it can be sustainable. I mean, I truly, I used to be an incredibly judgmental person. You know, from the minute I see you, I'm judging you, I'm judging this. I'm ju- and it doesn't always serve. I mean, I think as lawyers, we have to be aware and, you know, be, pay attention. But to judge without opening up to what's going on here, you know, let me, it, it can be restricting too. And I've yes. learned to really pull back on judging others, judging myself, and judging situations. And so, again, the value, the value of doing this kind of work is that it can really bring more control, more peace of mind, more focus. You know what you're doing, you know why you're doing it. And some of the BS that's bogging you down, you're able to kind of get beyond it and start moving forward. So that's, I have a website, you know, my promote my business on the website. Um, www.goodkindoflife.com. I am on LinkedIn. I am on Facebook um, and Instagram. Not super active there. I think LinkedIn has been my best place yeah. to have connections with lawyers. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely link to your website, www.goodkindoflife.com, and also your LinkedIn profile in the description of the podcast. If people want to learn more, maybe they know a lawyer who needs your services. You do restrict your services to lawyers, correct? Or do you work with others? I actually have quite a few paralegals that I work with, too, because as you can imagine, if lawyers are struggling, paralegals are struggling, too. Yeah. So, but yeah. outside of the legal work. industry, you've really you've really targeted the legal industry as your clientele, given your background. So and that makes total yeah. sense. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, this has been just a joy to learn about what you do and how you do it. And I hope yeah. people visit your website and refer a lawyer or paralegal friend. <laughs> they have one that's in need. Yeah. And just like many lawyers, you know, the first time you talk to me, there's no charge because we want to get to know each other and see if we're a good fit and if there's something that I can offer a value. So people should feel comfortable, you know, if they just want to reach out and say, tell me more or tell me if this is, you can help me or you can work with me. That's fine. I don't, I'm not, I'm a no pressure person. I don't pressure people to make decisions and work with me. Well, that's good to know. Thank you again, Susan. Thanks, Barbara. Stay in touch. Thank you for listening to the Wellness Law Podcast. You can find more Wellness Law resources by visiting the Center for Health and Wellness Law website at www.wellnesslaw.com, where you can also subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on social media. Until the next episode, stay well, stay hopeful, and stay legal.